Welcome to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes and I'm joined by, guess who? Hey. Hey. That's me, Adam. Yes. Um, what are we doing today? Today, uh, just to coincide with that, uh, now we are officially on ACAST. We, hey. Hey. we are going to be doing the A-list. A list. Uh, sounded like oh, we're going to do A list actors, but no, we're going to you know talk about. We're going to do A list yeah. of our A list, which is our favorite ten A movies because A we're on A cast and um, your name is Anders and my name is Adam. And they both begin with A, and um, we have a triple A rating from the podcast gods. Uh, yeah. Wait, that's not true. And um, well, you know, it's time we did a time we did a letter themed list. So we're doing our favorite films beginning with A. We've both picked five, and um, yeah, that's it. Lists of bullshit, this one included. Yeah. Um, speaking of lists... Outside. Jesus Christ. What did you say? As people, like, tearing up the lawn just as I'm starting to record outside, and so, yeah, apologies for any background noise. Damn lawnmowers. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, exactly. Anyway, uh, just, how dare you? Speaking of lists, uh, last episode we did an episode uh, talking about our top ten favorite animated films, which uh, was uh, was fun. Uh, I did post uh, a sort of question on on Facebook asking people what their favorite films were, and uh, by the time people had commented on it, um, I was already in the editing room doing the episode. Um, Oh, too bad. You snooze, you lose, fuckers. Yeah, so I, I did want to read out some of the people's uh, names really quickly before uh, we get into our A list. Let's do that in the middle. Let's do that. Let's do that in the middle with the normal where we normally put all the you know riffraff. Um, let's get started with this list, and then we can do that. All right, um, fine. We'll yeah. we'll we'll get to them later. So yeah, exactly. A films. A films. So at number ten is the Douglas Sirk film. All That Heaven Allows, which is also the uh, title of a really good song by the Mavericks. Which is originally a song by Bruce Springsteen, but the Mavericks version is better, in my opinion. Um, so, I yeah, so I picked, I picked this one. Um, it is a uh, terrific um, Technicolor melodrama by um, Douglas Sirk, who has, you know, excelled in that uh, particular field. It's um, a... Um, it's a Technicolor kind of, you know, melodrama from the master of the uh, Technicolor melodrama, uh, Douglas Sirk. Um, he, it is a, it, a very romantic film. Um, some would say perhaps over romantic, but um, I think one that um, has a, a, an awful lot of, um, uh, of poignancy and sweetness to it. Um, it is, um, you know, the plot is sort of nice middle-class uh, homemaker, housewife, whatever gender awful term you want to use. Um, uh, Jane Wyman uh, loses her husband. Uh, you know, didn't lose him. He, he dies. And um, it's not, it's not and, like he's a set of car keys, is he? Not like he's inconspicuous. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. She loses her husband, dead, and um, she uh, falls in love with her gardener. Um, very played by Rock Hudson. Played by Rock Hudson, who would if he was playing himself would not have fallen for his female employer let's put it that way uh, in any case um she she starts a relationship with her gardener and um the um uh the neighbors 
and the other people in the town and her children uh, take against it on uh, for various reasons, most of which are to do with that old chestnut snobbery. And so she, um, uh, she she's forced to break off the relationship and it's very very sad and um uh but 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 along the way there are some absolutely brilliant scenes of this woman finding herself after um after the death of her husband finding an identity that perhaps was denied her before um and there are just some incredible moments of um mm. of just like drama and poignancy like there's that bit where her children give her a television for Christmas so that she won't be lonely. And there's that brilliant shot where um, they zoom in on the TV screen and they see, you see her face reflected and it's just the picture of sadness. And it is so like heart wrenching. And it is, it, it, it really is full of stuff like that. The ending might be a bit too kind of sugar sweet, um, and there's also a very cheesy scene where she and Rock Hudson are like looking out a window in the snow and a fucking deer walks by and it's like, come on, guys, what is this, Bambi? And, uh, you know, but um, it is a it is a super film. And, um, yeah. uh, and I think it's exact, it's, it's so perfectly of that time, you know, with the white picket fences and everything. I'm sure that David Lynch uh, had it in mind when he made um He, he definitely uh, did. He definitely did. Um, yeah, he, you know, Blue Velvet has that kind of Douglas Sirk look to it. But I think when you go a little bit deeper, it's a little bit more sinister. And Dennis Hopper yeah. is crazy in that film. Um, yeah, there's obviously none of that in this. No, there's um, none of that in this. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the the influence of this film has carried on even into films like Fear Eats the Soul, the uh, Fassbinder film. Well, it's essentially a remake. Yeah, that also happened. Far From Heaven, the Todd Haynes film with... Uh, Julianne Moore and Dennis Quaid and Dennis Haybert, uh, Dennis, sorry, Dennis Haysbert, uh, who who oh, takes Dennis over the gardener role in um, in that film. Um, yeah. I absolutely hated the children in this movie. I just wanted to slap the son. He was a prick. What in, in all that heaven allows? All that heaven allows. Yeah, he was a prick. Yeah, he's a cunt. yeah fucking hell. And and the daughter as well. They're, they're terrible. They're the worst kids in the world. And um, I mean, she should absolutely disown them and just leave all the money to to Rock Hunter. No, it's it's awful. I mean, yeah. I hope he. No. But the, oh, mo God. the moment when he when the son says, "Oh, we should just sell the house," oh, I felt like my heartbreak. Like when Jane in the movie, I was yeah. like, I was so like, oh, oh, you prick. <laughs> There's so much. I mean, she has to suffer so much in this film. Anyway, um, we've got to move on. But like, it's a great movie. Please watch it if you haven't. It's really widely available. And um, just a quick shout out to Agnes Moorhead, who, as always, is brilliant because um, yeah. she's always so good in whatever she is in. So. Um, yeah what's at number nine so at number nine is the uh cameron crowe movie almost famous starring billy crudup francis mcdormand kate hudson and patrick fugit and philip seymour hoffman yes and philip seymour hoffman who is great in this movie as um lester bangs the uh famous music journalist who worked who wrote for rolling stone and was very influential uh in the in the sort of world of rock music criticism yeah yeah and one of the sort of great mentor characters in film in my oh opinion. he's so good in this the, the i mean the basic plot is that a young kid based um, on goes, cameron crow because he did write uh, for uh, rolling stone back in the day before he made movies yeah he cons himself into the to, to a journalist job and follows a band called sweetwater around who are like some kind of crazy amalgam of like um free and credence and like any long heads <laughs> yeah yeah right uh probably not grateful dead that's they're slightly less hippie-ish than grateful dead um 
but they're uh, they're like a sort of classic kind of you they're supposed to be just like a sort of classic american rock band yeah um, long hair beards you know all that kind of stuff one of them jared leto no one of them is, well the band members are billy crude jason lee noah taylor is their manager i can't remember the other actors but no jared leto is not in the movie he, the singer looks like him in my head. Okay, I need to fix Jay, that. Jason uh, Lee from uh, the Kevin Smith movies, More Rats and Chasing Amy. All right, sorry about that. Um, okay, so good. You don't you don't have to worry about Jared Leto being in the film. Um, and um, so uh, yeah, so he goes off in this uh, uh, on this tour, and he he sees the band kind of you know disintegrate, and um, in a very kind of like rock stars in a movie way, yeah. and he then falls in love with Kate Hudson, who's a Groupy, as the term goes, which they don't um, really—they don't go by that name. They're sort of like admirers of the band who also sleep with them, but they don't. But it's like they are basically groupies. But they sort of—they sort of look above. They, they respect the music and the people rather than just is like groupy. Is groupy problematic? Should we be? Should we be not using that word? Can you? Yeah, please write to us if we should not be saying groupy. Um, but she's a groupie, and. Yeah. Um, and uh, and anyway, uh, so our little our little friend uh, falls in love with her, and it's all very sad. And Francis McDormand is amazing as his mother. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Um, oh, that bit where she shows the Simon and Garfunkel album, and she points at them, and she goes on drugs. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Wait a second. Is Zoe Deschanel his sister? Yeah. Oh, so that's so, so that's I have remembered that correctly. Um, she's good. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's such a classic, like. The thing where she's like, listen to this album, it's going to change your life, and it's Tommy by The Who. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good album. But, yeah. um, but um, it's a wonderful film about being young, and it's uh, there's it's that very famous sequence where they sing Tiny Dancer on the bus, on but the bus. my favourite bit in the film is the plane crash. Yeah, that that's such a great scene, and also it's just like, it's such, it's. I mean, I Cameron Crowe, won an oscar for best original screenplay and um it's such good writing and the way that they're like all thinking that they're gonna die in the planes like out of control and like they're sort of falling out they're sort of saying out all their secrets and everything like that and it's a great moment in the movie where patrick Fugit, uh, fugit's character like lays into them and i think it's so really well done but it's it's paid off so well by one line which is like a great bit of comedic timing i'm not going to spoil it because it, it just made me laugh the first time i watched it and it's just hilarious like it's one of the most memorable moments in the movie it's genuinely one of the funniest things in any film i think i, I think it's one of the greatest jokes in any film and i'm and yeah you're right not to spoil it i was going to say it but but i think it's good for people to discover it on their own um but yeah um great film um difficult to make films about musicians it's also difficult i think to make a film like this in the aftermath of spinal tap you know what i mean yeah it's very difficult it is yeah it's true i mean yeah you know what i mean because like spinal tap kind of did the whole piss take version of it but then it's hard to do this for real without falling into the you know without just looking like spinal tap and they do that very well they sidestep the spinal tap landmines quite well they do it pretty well yeah they do it doubly she means um, Dolby. <laughs> the um, the um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the scenes with Philip Seymour Hoffman are just so good. I mean, where he rings him and he's you know he's 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 never not like Philip Seymour Hoffman has something like four or five scenes and they're all just talking yeah. on the phone. So it's essentially just a one man show. He doesn't have any actors to play off. He doesn't have that many props to work with. He smokes cigarettes and he's on the phone. It just it feels very true to 
what I know of Philip Seymour Hoffman, not just his sort of acting ability, which is very much on display, but also his whole like persona in real life. I don't know. I find I find this performance incredibly sort of uh, moving, um, especially given what happened to him. Yeah, it's an incredibly moving performance, and um, yeah, one of his best. Even when he's even when he's like not on the screen, not on the screen, you just kind of feel his he's what you just you want to see more of him and you feel his presence throughout the film and his influence of the main character yeah he's very much the obi-wan of this yeah. movie like he, he feel like he's gonna appear as a force ghost on the tour bus um use the force luke be cool <laughs> honest <laughs> and mo- and more importantly merciful um which isn't yeah. the jedi way now that you think of, now that i think about it would you like to take us to the next film on the list. So at number eight is The American Friend. Oh, friend. American Friend. Oh, American Friend. Um, yes. Friend. It's, uh, have, you seen, have you seen this? No, I haven't. I've been meaning to watch it for a, a while. I, Vim Vendors is one director I really want to watch more of. You should watch this film because it's very, very good. Um, it's also... Speaking of Dennis Hopper, me- he's in the movie. Yeah, speaking of Dennis Hopper, yes, there he is. Um, it's a um, sequel of sorts to the... It's in the Ripley uh, saga. Um, and uh, but it's not obviously it came out in the when 70s. Did it come out? yeah 70s I think and um, but it's just set in this world that I find endlessly wonderful you know that sort of mid 70s Europe of um, you know it, sort of an analog um, Europe without you know without internet but still with you know the ability to cross borders and 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 so on and so forth um, it is from 1977 great year for movies and um it's uh it's about a uh what is he like an antiques dealer or something in hamburg played by bruno gans who is maybe one of the greatest actors of all time um who sadly is one of these actors who's just been memed so much by the internet because of that yeah, scene but hit, think, oh jesus but yeah but hit so ignore that when you watch this um but gans um is is very ill and he's worried it's a bit like a little bit like a breaking bad kind of thing he's worried about what's going to happen to him and he's worried about his family so he he kind of knows tom ripley who's played by dennis hopper who's doing this operation where and this is insane so he buys fake paintings and he has them framed by um by bruno gans and he takes them back to new york where um nicholas ray yes that nicholas ray buys them from him and um another director who has a role in this film is sam fuller so sam fuller and nicholas ray are in the same film and you think that that's just crazy that's blow up the universe but no it works and um so he's got this art scam going on but then he he's also um he's given ripley that is is given the responsibility of bumping certain people off for, for american gangsters and other european criminals and so somehow or other i can't even remember exactly how this happened bruno gans gets recruited to do the killing um in exchange for a, a great deal of money and that sort of locks him into this kind of as i say kind of a breaking bad style moral quandary um but a really really stylish film great performance from dennis hopper beautifully shot the there's a great scenes of, of hamburg but also of paris in this film and new york um it's like a real globe trotting kind of movie and it's got that kind of 70s toughness into it aesthetically um but but very and very beautiful um and so i, I i'm just a huge fan of this film um and i and i i i'm sure many listeners will have seen it and yeah. uh, those are 
those who haven't should check it out. Um, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, the cinematographer on the movie was uh, German cinematographer Robbie Müller, who um, I think was very good at capturing urban locations. I think you, and then you see that very much in films like Jim Jarmusch's Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, uh, William Friedkin's to, to Live and Die in L.A., and also Alex Cox's uh, weird but wonderful movie Repo Man with Emilio Estevez and um, Harry Dean Stanton. Just, I think, just the, and also just Paris, Texas, as well, which is another Vin Vendors movie. I think it just had a really interesting way of just capturing just cities and just the way he like also with like cityscapes at night and the colors and everything and the lighting i think it's really kind of beautiful and mysterious in some ways well if you like that there's a ton of that in this film a ton of that kind of thing um did muller do wings of desire i don't he think not. He, i don't think he did he might have done he did do 24-Hour Party People, which is another film which has excellent um, urban cinematography. No, he did not do Wings of Desire. But anyway, yes. Um, he did do a the, few the, Jim Jarmusch he, movies. He did Dead Man. He was the cinematographer on Dead Man. Yeah. This is, this is, I think this would be my third or joint second favourite uh, Patricia Highsmith uh, uh, adaptation. Yeah, um, it was adapted. The book Ripley's Game was adapted again and it had John Malkovich playing Ripley. Yeah, well, fuck that. Um, so... Um, Watch this one. Um, anyway, let's move on to number seven, so which at, is uh, your one. Yeah, at number seven is Sam Raimi's movie, Army of Darkness, which is the third film in the original Evil Dead trilogy. You haven't okay, seen... Okay, so, so, no, so I am a complete novice when it comes to this. So explain, what is the Evil Dead trilogy? What the hell? What okay, is this movie? So basically the first Evil Dead is a low-budget horror movie about four five friends who go out to a cabin in the woods and they find a book they read the book and it awakens up the dead and other mysterious things and things like that and right, yeah. you know the first one was it was like this big cult phenomenon and you know sam raimi's career started bruce campbell he's you know it made a star out of him a cult movie star and so yeah the second film is a bit weird because it's almost like a remake and a sequel at the same time it's it's it was all to do with kind of rights issues so like someone kind of cut the ending of of uh, evil dead and then plastered it with a scene from evil dead 2 to kind of create like co a cohesive narrative and basically ash played by bruce campbell who's the who's the hero of the movie he you know he he tries to like bring the dead the the deadites the evil spirits back into like to get rid of them and stuff but what sorry, happens they're is deadites yeah they're called deadites okay sorry, I just the check. and then what happens is is that he gets transport he gets transported back to medieval england what <laughs> it's a crazy film so he gets transported back he's got one arm missing because it got possessed and he had to chop it off with the chainsaw so he's got a chainsaw connected to it and he's got wait 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 wait, 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 wait. he has big chainsaw hands he's got one <laughs> <laughs> can i control my <laughs> so he gets okay, he gets transported back with a yellow oldsmobile which was sam raimi's car and it appears in all of his movies including the western that he did the quick and the dead um so and basically it's prophesized that he's the he's this hero that's going to save the, the people from the deadites and it's basically like the thing i like about ash is that he's really fucking stupid and arrogant and he's the hero of the movie and i think that it it sort of has like some kind of relatability to it and stuff like that 
and and also I think it's 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 one it's the film where I feel like Bruce Campbell is really like comfortable as playing the character of Ash and has so many like wonderful like one-liners and there's like one point where he's like you got Jack and shit and Jack already left town already (laughs) okay um and also like it's a it's a great movie for like you know the Evil Dead movies is like it it's comedy it's horror low budget special effects but are amazing and you know this movie has like this really kind of cool Jason and the Argonauts kind of big battle at the end of the movie where like skeletons come and attack this castle and stuff like that. It's a wonderful, bizarre and just great movie. It sounds amazing. I love the description on Letterboxd. A man is accidentally transported to 1300 AD where he must battle an army of the dead and retrieve the Necronomicon so he can return home. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Well, there's also some great faces in this cast list um yeah well that sounds very fun i should check it out um and um what else has sam raimi done uh he did the spider-man movies with with toby mcguire and he recently did dr strange 2 in the multiverse of madness um he did the quick and the dead which is good which is good fun dark man uh a simple plan which is basically fargo but without the humor which is also an amazing movie and one of Billy Bob Thornton's best performances. And Bill Paxton is amazing in that film as well. Wonderful. It'd be so um, funny if you like posted that on Twitter, like who's Sam Raimi? What other films has he done? You'd just be a bunch of people being like, you never asked that on Twitter. I asked you because <laughs> I can't, I know the name and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an idiot. Um, you would just get like a bunch of people being like, you don't know. Never, and you could you could literally do that about anyone. Yeah. you could post anything on Twitter, and someone's gonna, you know, assuming that anyone ever reads your tweets, which in my case they don't. But like, <laughs> let's say I was a famous person who had lots of followers, could post anything on Twitter, and it'd be like, you know, I could post like, where did you, where do you think I left my car keys? And someone would be like, fuck you, asshole! And you know, it's like, um, you know, you're so woke uh, for losing your keys. <laughs> yeah, car keys probably drive a fucking electric car hippie. You know, um, I don't know. Um, uh, let's Wouldn't not surprise talk me. Um, so uh, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, that's really. Do you know what the real life army of darkness? Twitter. Um, <laughs> let's true. move on to number. What are we on? Number six. six. So oh, uh, another horror film. Yeah, another great eighties uh, horror movie from uh, John Landis, an American werewolf in London, which is just this. This is great. We so we have this rule where. Um, you know, you can't do films that begin with A. Like, well, not films, we're doing films that begin with A, but you can't do like A Matter of Life and Death or uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Or, but, we, or, but the good thing is American is the first other word of this title. So we can have an American werewolf in London. And what a fun film it is. Yeah. Um, stay off the moors. Um, Beware of the moon, lads. Um, yeah, they don't pay attention, those idiots. And um, They're Americans. They don't pay attention to anybody. <laughs> Aside from all the horror stuff, which is great, um, it's a great culture clash movie, right? Yeah, it's it a is. great like fish out of water film. Uh, the pub scene at the beginning is so like the pub scene at the beginning. It really feels like the film could go in two directions. It could either be a comedy or a horror movie, and then they just decide, "Fuck it, we're going to do both." Yeah, and um, and, it, and I love that. I absolutely love how um, how funny it is. How many like great British character actors they find room for in this film, um, and um, and the 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 the, the 
performances of the main guy um, and his friend are very convincing as these like hapless American backpackers. And then you've got your uh, Jenny Agatha, of course. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, what's not to like? And, and Rick Baker. Yeah, I mean, I could listen to like Rick Baker talk about the whole makeup special effects process. Like, I mean, John Landis really gave him time to actually get the werewolf effects right like how the werewolf was going to look <laughs> and even to the, like the main actor who like transformed uh, the thing his name is tom mcnaughton where he had to like transform and rick baker was like i feel so sorry for you because <laughs> like <laughs> i mean the great i mean it's really fun that that transformation sequence you know back in the like 30s they would like you know shoot that in darkness and cover it up and have like little dissolves and just like use film trickery to kind of make it seem like it's like a you know the you see the trend the transformation in like one shot in one frame but you know in this one you see it all in like a really bright room with like some you know old-timey 60s romantic song playing in the background and it's like really painful like his his like hand like extends and his face as well and it's a really like the sound design is really great as well but like I can't imagine that was a really comfortable ex- experience to film that. And um, uh, I think it actually took a, a really long time to film that whole transformation sequence because it's like different layers and parts and stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. I love the, um, uh, speaking of great sequences, the Tottenham Court Road underground chase. Yeah. Um, I can never, well, they've remodeled Tottenham Court Road now, but the old Tottenham Court Road tube, I could never think of that. Um, I can never go there without thinking of that scene from American Werewolf. And I have had, I will confess, one or two moments uh, on the tube late at night when no one's around. And uh, just, you know, to the little back part of my brain that should know better is like, ah, um, hello? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I, mean, um, I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, I've, I've had that a little bit as well. Like, I'm not on that tube station in particular, but like any tube station alone and you're like the only one there and it's like, Hope there's no werewolf around or anything like that. Yeah, uh, this also reminds me of the great song by the Jam down in the tube station at midnight. But that's different. Um, nothing to do with werewolves. This does have a great soundtrack. It does. Really good soundtrack. So wonderful film, great choice. And um, I, yeah, I actually really want to watch it again now. Um, could you uh, now? I think we're at that pausing point. Yeah. Um, could you tell us about some of the people who wrote in too late last week and what they wanted to say about animated films. So this is now getting really surreal where we're actually reading out people's entries for last week's episode, Yeah. Um, but whatever. So if you want to be read out on the show, write in next week about your favorite A films and we'll do it on our list of top 10, I don't know, shower scenes or something. Um, so um, carry on. Shower scenes, I can only think of one and it's Psycho. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, what else? A lot of horror films with shower scenes. A lot of horror films. Arachnophobia, I think, has a shower scene, right? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I've, now, I've never seen Arachnophobia because I have Arachnophobia, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not an idiot. Yeah, but I do think I remember that. There's got to be ten. We've got to be able. To... Okay, no, we're getting distracted. <laughs> Who has written in? So, uh, uh, Michael uh, Hobdorp. Michael Hobdorp. Uh, Rob uh, Rob Dorp. Rob Dorp. R-O-B-D-R-U-P. Sorry if I got your last name wrong. Do you he, know it? Do you know this guy? Yeah, he's a he's an actor. I've been a sound recordist on He wrote uh Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, everyone likes that film. Uh Mary and Max, which is a stop motion animation film. And I think it's an adult stop motion animation film with uh what, Philip a porn C- film? It's a what? 
And when you say adult, do you mean like a, it's a porn movie? No, no, it's like it's an animation for adults. That's, a, a, that's really a labour of love. <laughs> stop motion porn film. Not a I'll stop. Tell you what was a stop not... tell, hey, hey, I've got a good one for you. I'll tell you what was a stop motion porn film. My early 20s. Hey. hey. <laughs> sorry. Oh, God, Jesus Christ. No, sorry. no, no it's, it's, an, it's supposed to be really good. Philip Seymour Hoffman does a voice in it. So just to clarify, when you say adult, it's not a kid's film. It's not a kid's film. But yeah, okay. So, um, Mary and Max. Great. So he said Mary and Max, Coraline, which is another animation, stop motion animation film, which is for kids, but it's actually quite frightening for kids. If you're like, I wouldn't show any, I wouldn't show Coraline to like someone under the age of 10. Okay. Uh, Inside Out. Oh, that's a good film. And uh, the Pinchcliffe Grand Prix. I have, I have no idea what that even. I think is. it's like I think I, I think I might have seen it. I think it's like some Norwegian stop motion animation film. Michael really likes stop motion, huh? I like stop motion animation movies as well. Yeah, well, we, that's why we put Wallace and Gromit in number two. Okay, cool. So, uh, who else? Uh, Jess Henry Cross. Oh, that's my friend. Hey, Jess. She wrote Coco. Hmm. Inside, Inside Out. People like that film. Uh, Bugs Life. Good movie. Onward. Onward! What's and, that? Oh, it's the, the one about the fantasy, modern fantasy Pixar film. The one about the two brothers trying to resurrect their dad. Oh, God. That, sounds, that does not sound like a film that either of us should watch. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen it twice, and there's like one moment in the movie that's made me cry like both times. Oh, God. I just, I'd be like, get a lump in my throat just thinking about the idea of that film. Okay, not going to watch that. Um, you should. Yes? It's a really, it's a really beautiful film. Right, well, only if you watch it with me and promise to hold my hand. Like, <laughs> yeah. up. And, you had to uh, pause up because I was sobbing so much. <laughs> and uh, she also wrote "Turning Red," which is the la- which is the recent uh, Pixar film that just got released on Disney Plus back in March. Which isn't the new movie Lightyear, the Toy Story film. Yeah, I want to see Turning Red. I can't say the same for Lightyear. Um, it's, cool. not, well, it's not gotten the best reviews. Thanks, Jess, for your lovely suggestions. So um, my uh, my old uh, film school buddy, Nishant, he wrote Prin- Princess Mononoke. Oh, yeah. More Miyazaki. I haven't seen that one. Um, our old au pair, Anna Varming, she wrote Toy Story 2 because I saw it in the cinema with you guys. <laughs> yes, she did. Um, and uh, Merrily Holmes, she wrote Coco, the Pixar film. Everyone likes Coco. Everyone likes Coco and Inside Out. That's interesting. Okay, cool. And Into the Spider Verse, very popular. Spider Man um, Into the Spider Verse is a really surprisingly a very good movie. Well, no, I'm I'm not surprised. I I've heard it really. I've heard good things. Like um, I, I I didn't think it was going to be as good as it, it as it was as it had any right to be, but it really it was just a really surprisingly good film. Okay, well that's great. Um, so um, has anyone actually written in about the films about A films? Do people not understand what we're talking about? Like films that begin with A. What's difficult about that? Right in next week on our shower podcast. <laughs> so um, uh, Mark Ramsey at Mark Ramsey. He wrote. Ramsey. He wrote Alien and Apocalypse Now. Oh, he did. <laughs> Fuck Apocalypse Now. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> didn't even think of that one. I don't. I don't know. I feel I have very mixed feelings about Apocalypse now. Um, Maybe we should do a podcast episode about it. It'd be quite interesting to Apocalypse now. Uh, yeah, I think because I, uh... I have the Blu-ray with like I think that I have like three versions of the film and the Blu-ray. It's the original cut, and then there's the 
the Redux yeah. with like the French stuff that's added into it, and then there's the Final Cut, which came out like three years ago. Ooh, what's that? What's that like? I think it's like it's shorter. It's shorter than the Redux version, mm -hmm. but it's longer than the original cut. I think it clocks in at like can't remember maybe it's like three hours long but it's not as long as Redux. i would be interested in watching that me too okay also um, also well, because francis ford coppola has he's he's been involved with the sort of the sort of that version of the film and like doing a new edit of it and stuff yeah i mean i will say i don't think directors should be allowed to go back and edit their old stuff in my opinion but it's gone had good results with blade runner so what do i know but the george lucas you know shit show is um anyway uh good suggestions uh so there's not no one else right just this guy yeah Ramsey. Ramsey. sorry all right well fine write in next week with your a films and we'll talk about them on our shower podcast um <laughs> we're not actually doing shower films next week don't write <laughs> shower films. um no, please don't um so okay at number five is Alejandro. hey hang on a minute there's a great shower scene in american werewolf in london that's true Oh, yeah, there is. I was trying to remember which one it was, and I was like, oh, Ooh, that one. That one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, number five. Number five. It is Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu's directorial debut, Amoros Pelos, translated to Loves a Bitch. Well, Loves a Dog, right? Well, loves a dog. I don't know enough about Spanish. Um, okay, well, what's this? I haven't, seen, I haven't seen this. I remember when it came out, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, it was like a really big... The film was like a really big like hit when it came out. Like it was, it, it had like a real like people were really like talking about this movie and stuff. And yeah. you know, I really, it really. I mean, I think this was like I think Alejandro uh, Inuritu. I think he was like in his late thirties when he directed this movie. Oh god. Okay. So um, I mean, he was Alan's a youngster. Yeah. So you know, it's it's set in Mexico City, and it and it has this very you know, it's three. It's told from three different. It's three different stories kind of put into it. So it's a little bit like Pulp Fiction, and it's all set around a car accident, which like changes oh. the lives of like three people. And it's like uh, one man is played by Gael Garcia Bernal, who um, who is a great actor. Um, he's he's. Um, he he wants to get out of the city with his uh, sister-in-law and he has he's been taking part in these like really vicious uh dog fighting scenes i will say if you're a fan of dogs and love dogs don't watch this movie because it, it, it's hard to watch especially if you're a dog lover and and then it sort of he gets into a car accident and his car collides with a famous actress who you know gets put in a wheelchair and she's about to move into her new apartment with her her lover who has left his family and problems ensue in there and it's just that whole their whole relationship breaks down and her it's like really quite hard that's like quite a hard part of the movie to watch and then also there's a homeless man who's also a hitman who also right. travels with like an array of dogs and he's sort of seen in the last part of the movie where we sort of figure out like who because we see him throughout the film and we're sort of confused about like who is this guy like what's his deal like we see him shoot someone and then we don't see him we only see him like a you know we only see him like a few times until like the last part of the movie when the focus is on him and um yeah it's a really kind of like brutal gritty movie and i think that kind of that style kind of stuck within Yuritsu's films, particularly with 21 Grams, which kind of takes that kind of 
you know, flashing back and forward narrative. Like it doesn't have like a very sort of straightforward narrative. Like 21 Grams has like a very sort of like back and forth kind of style. Like it's basically like a remake of Amoris Peros and, um, and Babel mm. as well has that kind of same style as well. I didn't like Babel. Me neither. It wasn't that great. But um, I, The Revenant was interesting. Birdman was interesting. Um, yeah. He's, he's got a new film coming out, which is made in Mexico, um, which is coming out on Netflix. Isn't that those, that film with um, Beautiful, with uh, what's-his-face? Um, Javier Bardem, yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I have it on DVD, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's certainly a really interesting filmmaker. That He has a very distinct style, doesn't he? Yeah, very distinct style. Also very sort of um, my way or the highway kind of directing, especially if you've read into like all the sort of stories about the, the production of The Revenant. Yeah, well, I remember we talked about that at the time yeah. when it came. I also think like I, there is a little bit controversy surrounding his movies in regards to uh, foregoing a lot of COVID protocols while making the film. And I think some people did actually get sick and die during the making of it. So I think he died. Yeah, yeah. So there is a little, there is a little bit of controversy surrounding that film. I don't think I don't know what kind of. I think it's like a comedy or something. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember. <laughs> Laugh a minute, comedy where all the cast are dead of COVID. Um, great. Um, okay. Well, um, he sounds like someone it would be an interesting experience to work with. So yeah, number. I think this is going to be fun. It's another horror film, this time set in space. Um, it is Alien. Alien. Uh, Ridley Scott's second movie. Unbelievable to think that you could make, that your first two movies could be The Duelists and Alien. I mean, fucking hell. And then Blade Runner <laughs> after that. That was his third film? Yeah. So he really That's kind of... That is actually, I know, that is actually completely insane that you would make three knockout films with of completely different well i guess blade runner and alien are sort of similar but still that is remarkable and he just made adverts before that yeah he was a he made adverts and short films and you know i think he was again he was one of those guys who started late he was in his late 30s when he did the duelists which is really good if anyone hasn't seen it yeah. um the alien yeah so the first time i saw alien was actually on the big screen and i watched it back to back with its sequel and um aliens uh, yes, and I um, loved it. Um, I think it is just, I mean, it's its a haunted house film. It's a monster film. It's a kind of a, a, a sort of men on a mission, Guns of Navarone style movie in a bit of a weird way. It's a, its an ensemble cast. It's a- But it also has this very sort of like eerie message about like corporations and how they control yes. their employees and stuff. I think that's that message in there is pretty like- Ooh, it's like you know, it's 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 quite nuanced the way that it kind of approaches it. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a there's a healthy dose of uh, of um, you know of social commentary in there, uh, especially in the second one, I yeah. think. But again, but also in this one, I, I think. Yeah, they adapt um, on it in the second movie. There's great cast. I mean, you've got obviously you've got uh, Sigourney Weaver, um, but then you've you you know uh, Tom Skerritt is in there and. Um, uh, Yafit Koto, um, Ian Holm, John Harry, Hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Harry Stanton. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great cast as well. But also, it's like it's a really good bit of screenwriting as well in the way that it kind of introduces the characters, introduces the location, sets the tone very well, 
this kind of yeah. industrial futuristic sort of world. And the way it also just builds upon these like little mysteries about the ship and everything else and the eggs, like how did it get there and all this other stuff. And of course, he oh, did. It's so good. It's just, it's so creepy that beginning, you know. Oh, and yeah. you know something bad is coming. Yeah, you know something bad is coming. But also, like, imagine being someone in 1979 when that movie came out and, like, seeing, like, the thing, like, attack John Hurt. And then it just, like, dies. And it's like, oh, okay. So what's, what's the rest of the movie going to be about? And then just having that scene where they're sitting around the dinner table and then John Hurt is, like, you know, the thing blows up out of his chest. Like and just did, imagine being an audience member watching that yeah. and having no idea that was going to happen. <laughs> and yeah, the chest buster, as they call Isn't it true that the cast, the rest of the cast didn't know what was going to happen? Yeah, or that some lot... of them, they weren't fully prepared for the, for yeah, the processing of... or the whatever. Is, is, I think, is that I think, I think I think John Hurt, like, I think from what I've read into it, I think it's like John Hurt kind of, starts doing it when you know they didn't even know it was going to happen kind of thing and also when the blood explodes on the actors a lot of the reactions are actually real because they didn't know how much when the blood was going to they didn't actually think they were going to get hit uh basically and i think you know it's the same with the exorcist as well when um father Karras gets vomited on and uh, the actor was angry at william friedkin for how much and how like powerful the explosion of pea soup was on his face yeah um and also just like it, it's a great moment of like tension as well and the same thing that like what jaws did is that you you don't show the monster straight away like you kind of right, hide it right. in the, you hide it in the shadows as well like especially in that scene with harry, De De harry dean stanton when he's trying to get the cat and then you see its tail behind him and you're like oh shit <laughs> and stuff so you know your imagination is kind of going crazy and you see shadows and yafik kodo's like this son of a bitch is huge the thing about yeah i mean i think it's really clever the way that they don't show the whole creature because it makes it totally scary and yeah and it starts to it is that thing of your nightmare your own personal visions of what this thing is start to work on you you know and um it's um it's very effective um and um and wonderful to watch in the cinema i mean i think if anyone has the chance to go and watch it in a dark room with other people it's great because it is one of those roller coaster rides and and you get the gasps and and we had fun because you know there are a lot of iconic lines especially in the second one and people would sort of cheer them you know it, it i watched it at the prince charles in london and, yeah, and it yeah. was uh, just just great brilliant cinema. um love the prince charles um and everyone listening actually should go and become a member of the prince charles cinema they don't sponsor us and this is a completely free plug, but if you live in London, uh, or even if you live near London, Prince Charles Cinema is where it's at. Um, and um, yeah, Alien. Wow. What a movie. Um, wow. <laughs> what a hole. Um, so um, do... Oh, my, my one is next. Um, yeah. So I put uh, a French film at number three, which is one of my very favourite movies called La Talente, which is uh, the only full-length film by Jean Vigo, who died far too young. Uh, and it came out in the 1930s. It is a terrific and sweet and sort of um, transcendent little film about a few people on a barge <laughs> going up the river in France and it's a love story and it's a coming of age film and it's um it is just so full of that kind of poetic realism of the 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 time but it's it's not it's more than renoir you know it's 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 this 
it's almost like a proto new wave film. I mean, it's interesting. I watched um, the 400 Blows last night and um, it's very clear to me anyway that um, Truffaut had um, Vigo in mind when he made that. And um, I just, yeah, I think Latin is one of those um, uh, incredibly um, important films. Um, and um, as I say, you know, it was the last film he was able to make. Um, he made a few wonderful shorter pictures before that, including Zero de Conduit, which is really fun. Um, it's all about rowdy school children. I mean, it feels like every French film is about, a lot of French films anywhere about schoolrooms. And then you realise that apparently it's just because the French school system is so was anyway so like draconian and terrible that yeah. um, directors felt like they needed to like, go back and like do like film therapy. But anyway, um, this one is obviously not about that. It's about these... Um, it's about this couple who marry and they get on the guy's barge and they go off in search of God knows what and um, the barge life. Um, and you have Michel Simon as the barge guy with all his like seagoing tattoos and everything. And there are all these little petty jealousies and stuff. And then there's the sort of inevitable split that the couple has. And then there's this amazing scene where the main character hears this legend that if you um, put your head underwater and you know, almost to the point of drowning, you'll see visions of the thing you most care about, most desire. And he sees obviously visions of his love and it's very, very beautiful and wonderful and sounds much less, it's much less saccharine than it sounds. Um, and um, yeah, and and just, um, you know, the music, the, the cinematography, the way he uses the boat and the the sort of the, the relationship between this moving platform and the buildings and the sky, it's just, it's really, really, um something else you know and um I, and it's hard really to describe it in immense detail other than to say you know the film is really a, a mood it's a um it's it's immersive you know and um i um i urge people to watch it uh it's such a like french cinema at that time is just so rich and and it's so much more than just like you know pepe lamoco um yeah. this is um this is this is just such good such good movie making um and i i love this film um really really do so um so yeah that's that's la talent by jean vigo um now top two yeah i think these movies are quite similar in some ways they are they come as a pair but anyway what's the first one so number two is the 1950 joseph l mankowitz film all about eve which is um just a fantastic movie yeah i mean what, what where do you begin i mean it's uh better davis <laughs> and baxter george sanders yeah, what thelma ritter yeah thelma ritter yeah marilyn monroe is in the movie as well the last home yeah it's a fantastic it's a fantastic movie i, I mean on the criterion channel they had a bunch of Mankowitz movies and I watched them before I think it was like March or something when they were about to like get taken off so I saw like a few a, few, a lot of Mankowitz movies like that and the um the quiet American movie that he did uh the ghost and Mrs. Muir which is a really really wonderful film with uh Rex Harrison have you seen that no and I haven't seen that quiet American one either but um but yeah so so all about Eve I mean it's really hard to know where to begin and we don't have all day so um yeah Joseph Mankowitz is famous partly for being Herman Mankiewicz's brother and who was a lot more um, successful in Hollywood than his uh, acerbic alcoholic um, brother was. Um, 
he did he was a writer and producer and then he became you know a wonderful director as well and this is in many ways his masterpiece well, it is his masterpiece um like this and a letter to three wives i think are like two of the best films that he's done yeah i mean but this is the one that really is like canonical like best film ever kind of material um i mean the, script, is the very, screenplay is amazing i'll just say that yeah it's 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 also great because it's a it's a great film about show business. Uh, this time it's the theatre. Uh, the plot is that a an a, a, an aging star played with relish by Better Davis uh, is um is sort of latched onto by this uh, <laughs> yeah similar to the plot of Alien in some ways. Uh, this um, young um, imp- seemingly impressionable naive character played by Anne Baxter latches on to Betty Davis, becomes her confidant, her friend, and then eventually usurps her. She tries to even, you know, uh, cuckold Betty Davis, you know, take away her man. Um, and um, and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it has all of these, you know, iconic moments where, you know, Davis is raging against this, uh, this, this, this person who's come into the, to her life. And then of course you see the transformation that Anne Baxter's character, uh eve goes through um and uh and the you know and the lives of all the people she turns upside down i think it's really interesting when you look at the cast like the blokes in the cast with one exception are kind of forgettable they're cast as, with sort of you know non they both kind of look alike as well and they don't really yeah. do much apart from being like the jilted husband or boyfriend or something like that but the only one who kind of comes across in the male cast as being like pretty memorable is george sanders as addison dewitt this who's the narrator of the movie and a critic as well yeah so addison dewitt really sits on this film like the sort of spider in the middle of the web i mean and he also it's important to note that george sanders got an oscar for this film and and deservedly so yeah um he's um he's incredible and he's just he he just drips with venom and and vehemence in every scene he's in and such like he's so he is able to be completely relaxed and sort of um you know like a like a honey bath for so in so many scenes but he's also completely intense i mean you can tell that there is a fierceness in him that really yeah. comes out in that final confrontation with eve um and um yeah i mean he's 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 just it, it is such a measured performance um it's yeah, I don't know. I just don't have enough nice things to say about it. Yeah. In many ways, it's it's like if Shia Khan, who George Sanders yeah. voiced, came to life as a and became a theatre critic, this would be what happened. I mean, George Sanders, he does look like Shia Khan. I'm pretty sure the animators probably just made Shia oh, Khan. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did, hundred yeah. percent. But um, yeah, he's. I mean, he's one of those characters who's pretty much figured you out the moment he meets you, or something like that. He knows everything about you, and it's just yeah he's a great great character and you know it's just it's hard to like do i like this guy what he does or hate him it's hard to it's you're so conflicted about where you land on him a little bit i think on a lot of the characters in the movie particularly like eve as well it's it's harder it's yeah it's a very sort of gray world that without that we're in yeah and it's also it's such a smart movie because that's the thing the yeah. main thing about sanders's character is he's just as you say he's he's smarter than everyone else he's five steps ahead sometimes hard to write that and especially when you're surrounded by others like the other characters in the film are smart they're just compromised in some way and um it's just a mark of how the planets align to make a completely stunning uh movie in this case you know that those the the writing is so spot on the acting is you know it's a stacked cast of of brilliant players Mm. um and um 
yeah i mean it's 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 just a complete treasure and a masterpiece and we're so lucky to have it and it is um it is freely available everywhere you can imagine on dvd blu-ray it's streamable um so if you haven't seen it watch this film please because it is so good yeah uh, i mean i mean joseph mankowitz he won back-to-back best director you know two years in a row from for this and i think the year before that a letter to three wives yeah not bad he didn't do very badly for himself yeah um, then he did cleopatra and then it all went to hell oh jesus um well too bad okay well so what is at uh oh we didn't even do honorable mentions no we didn't no uh, well, a couple I could throw in there um, if you want to hear them. Uh, I would I would have liked to have found a place if I could for all that jazz, but it just yeah. didn't make the cut. A uh, great film, though, um, by Bob Fosse. And um, another one of the ones I would have perhaps been able to crowbar in there uh, is uh, Fellini's film Amarcord, which is um, a delight. I really want to watch that. I have that on DVD. Yes, do. Any of your any honorable mentions from your end of the um, I really like As Good as It Gets. I think it's oh, yeah. it's one of my favorite movies with Jack Nicholson. I think it's just a tremendous performance. And also a film that I feel like you couldn't really do today. I don't know. It's it would be quite difficult. Uh yeah, there's definitely yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very of its time. It's very of its time. It's very late nineties and um But yeah. it's good. But, but, it is and, very good. Well, no, it's a good film. Like really, and, and and its heart is in the right place. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they really managed to make like a really like unlikable character, and then just gradually make him kind of likable by the end of the movie. But it's just it's such an amazing. I mean, it's the oh, you can only see Jack Nicholson play that character. Oh yeah, yeah. And it has some pretty good dog acting as well. Dog acting, yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Also, Argo, Ben Affleck's movie. Yes, a lot of fun, Argo. I like it. Yeah. Happy birthday to John Goodman, who is 70 years old. Hero. Absolute yeah. legend. Um, I watched uh, Barton Fink the other day, which he's incredible in. Um, because yeah, you well, don't listen! <laughs> very good. Um, good honourable mentions. Now, number one. I think people probably have guessed this. <laughs> That's I'm not... Dead. Yeah, that wasn't a very good. I can't do. I can I, normally you can't do, do the laugh. The only person who could do the laugh is Tom Holt. Tom Holt. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do it right now. I usually can. Um, ADHD but, Tourette's kind of Mozart or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. It's so good, Amadeus. Uh, Perfect it's, film. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Completely. Um, Milos Forman, um, the great Czech director. Straight after um, winning. A lot of awards for uh i was just about to say as good as it gets but no it's one flew over the cuckoo's nest right again um, with jack nicholson yeah so another director who was on a serious role of movies when he made this um and um it is um it's, it's a biopic of mozart <laughs> i mean it's that's what it is it's mozart's decline and fall at the hands of f murray abraham's salieri yeah. um it's uh i mean who the fuck everyone must have seen this right come on listeners work with us here yeah. you know i think everyone has probably seen this movie and also yeah, just... if you haven't fuck you like jesus christ turn this off and fuck off don't download the podcast again like it is just it is so good uh, uh if you genuinely uh, if you haven't seen it come back i didn't mean that go watch amadeus um and um you know but it is it is so um 
oh, it's funny. It is uh, thrilling and stirring. It is tragic. It's sexy. It's 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 ravishing. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, it's it's full of humor and pathos and poignancy and 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 epic um, scale and ah oh, and it, the way it uh, evokes the period is so good and the way that they chose to film it in Prague and they make Prague look like Vienna and mm. um, a bit anyway and um, it's uh, you know the cast is great as we said um, the, the writing's fantastic it's a it's a fucking two and a half hour movie about classical music and it is one of the best films ever made I mean come on yeah I mean I mean I don't know so much about the history of Mozart but I'm pretty sure this movie is quite like historically inaccurate but it's still oh, God, completely who cares it's still <laughs> yeah. it's still a fantastic movie and Salieri did not kill Mozart okay <laughs> <laughs> that is not true that did not happen but I I have a private theory that this film is a influence on so many subsequent movies and one of those is um Grand Budapest Hotel, partly because of the locations and partly because of the choice of using yeah. Murray Abraham in that storytelling role, um, and in that's the way that um, the atmosphere that that world tries to evoke. Um, I think there's a lot actually in almost famous, you know, that, that you could trace back to this film. Um, I think there is a bit of uh, all about Eve as well. <laughs> all about Eve. Well, it, it does obviously all about Eve is made long before, but I mean, you look at all these modern music biopics that have sprung up everywhere yeah. um or the line ray uh freddie the freddie mercury movie that was so weird um the um um you know that kind of stuff i'm sure i'm missing out oh what's this new baz lerman one about elvis yeah i've no I've, i'm kind of curious to see it mainly just because just how crazy it is I don't like Baz Luhrmann. I'm, I don't want. I don't want to watch it. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's. Um, Imagine a Baz Luhrmann remake of Amadeus. No, don't even say it. Don't say it. <laughs> Shut your dirty mouth. That is terrible. Imagine if you brought that into being by saying that's like that's that's Army of Darkness stuff that you just said <laughs> there, my friend. I am holding you personally responsible if that happens. <laughs> Could you imagine uh, if you like listen? Somebody listens to that and be like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Imagine yeah. like Eminem and Jay Z with like Mozart in the background or something like that. No, 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 Baz Luhrmann's agent calls him. And he's like, "Hey, Baz, ever heard of Amadeus, the movie or the planet?" <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, a, it was a. It was a stage play before it was a film, wasn't it? I can never imagine how that worked. Like, I, I, but but I guess it it did. It must, well, it must have done. But the um, I think you know, coming back to Amadeus, like, I think one of the great, great, great things about this film is it shows you why Mozart is good. Yes. It's not just like most biopics are like, you know the song, it goes like this. You know, whereas it's like it takes you inside why the music is good. It's Salieri. It's so cleverly written in the way that Salieri, this jealous composer, is able to tell us through words and music why Mozart was this completely singular genius and um and I think that's the thing like it's that's the thing that's true to life the the plot is nonsense the the you know doesn't bear any relation to reality except that the, the what cannot be gotten around is the fact that this man was a genius. heaven's 
heaven sent composer you know and i th those scenes where he's conducting those amazing uh operas and and uh, it's just uh, or, or tooling around at the piano when they're writing the requiem together i mean not together where he's dictating the requiem yeah. to you know it is just such a a vivid and and utterly convincing like you don't if you if you watch this and you're not convinced of mozart's genius then I, then i invite you again to like throw yourself out of the window um because it's just um you know, it, 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 it's, it's just completely perfect the way it evokes. It doesn't need to twist your arm. You know, it doesn't need to say like, listen, this guy's really good. No, 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 this is, look, all these people like it. It's like, no, you just hear that music and you're immediately just like, ha, you know, it's, it's so, uh, yeah, uh, fantastic, wonderful stuff. Just to be F. Murray Abraham at that time making this film. And then I think at the same time going from Vienna to Miami, doing Scarface, <laughs> like just two very yeah, different movies. Yeah, that's a pivot. That's a real pivot, having to do that. Yeah, um, having to go from like, and then going across the globe to like, I never fucked over anybody who didn't have it coming. Yeah. Very all good. I got Very... in this word are my balls and my, no, all I got in this world are my my word and my balls and I wouldn't break that. I fucked up the line. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you did. You're, you're, you're derailing the podcast then. Um, the, Scarface Scar is yeah. another film we could do a podcast about. Yeah, well, are we going to stop doing top tens? Do people not like the top tens anymore? I don't know. Maybe we could do another top ten and put it on ice for a little bit and then maybe talk about a movie or something. We could talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi on the next episode. I have no idea. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I haven't, I haven't uh, watched. Uh, well, it hasn't finished yet. Um, yeah, they got the last okay. episode coming out soon. And Amadeus. Amadeus. The last time I watched Amadeus was on my birthday, and we made a. Uh, we made well, first we had oysters, and then we had a schnitzel, very Viennese, and nice. then we had a proper Viennese sachetort, a chocolate cake, and we watched Amadeus, and it was. I will say, just a wonderful experience. It's one of those films that really rewards making a big deal out of it. Like, um, yeah, you know, like I've actually never seen it on a big screen, but I'd love to. But, but just accompanying your experience of watching Amadeus with good wine and good food, and and um, uh, you know, maybe get a little dressed up for it. You know, it is a, it is a, it's just because. It's a film that's just in the modern era. You know, it's post Star Wars. I always think Star Wars is the cutoff point um, yeah. from old and the new. And so it's um, its language, its feel is very. You know, if you if it came out now, you aside for a few from a few visual effects and cinematography things, you if it came out tomorrow, released exactly in exactly the same form it exists, you would believe that it was a film of our era. You know, it feels yeah. very modern. I think for modern audiences, you know, you have to tune yourself in to watch something like La Salante, for example. You have to go back to your sort of 1930s mm. brain. But this film you could watch if it, as if it had just hit cinemas, you know, and I, I think it is just for that reason among many, um, it's uh, it's such a delight, um, even though it's now you know forty something years old. But I think it's um, like I think it's just to, I think it's due to the like the thematic elements of the movie and in how it makes it so timeless. But also, it's like thinking about it now and thinking about certain scenes, and it's like it is brilliantly directed by Milos Forman. I think you need like yeah. you know I mean I was I'm thinking about like Bergman's Fanny and Alexander as well, which is like this really sprawling epic period film period piece film and you know both those films or film tv show whatever you want to call it uh 
uh, Fanny and Alexander, but it's just the way it, like it tr- it perfectly transports you back into that time period, and it feels so realistic. You really just feel the locations, and and um, you know, I miss kind of movies like that where you just really feel the locations and feeling yourself yeah. transported into the film, but also just like all the work you know, that went into building all the sets and things like that. And I really feel like there's no film that has been made these days that has that kind of level of attention to just doing that and building the sets. Cause most of it can be done on a computer. Or if you look at something like, you know, what they're doing on star Wars with the, you know, the volume and the led back backdrops, you could do something like that. I mean, I remember like, there's like from, I remember reading on IMDb about gangs of New York, which built all these big giant sets in Rome and like George Lucas came to the set and, um, you know, he said, you know, you could do all these things on computers now. And then Martin Scorsese slapped him and took him off, took him off set. <laughs> he didn't slap him, but I can imagine being like, shut up, <laughs> go, go do your Star Wars prequels. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the good thing about filming in Prague is that you've got such a framework yeah. already for you know, building the city. But yeah, I mean, the period detail is amazing. You can smell the horseshit. You can feel the candlelight. You can, you can feel the cold. Feel the... You can feel the heat and everything. Yeah, it's just... yeah. Yeah, you, you could feel like the food and the alcohol and smells and everything like that. That's just yeah, it's just one of those things. One of the one of the great um, stories I heard from um, from Amadeus is actually about the food. So you know, there's the scene where um, Salieri, who has otherwise taken a vow of celibacy, um, yeah. he, um, he he decides to try and blackmail. Mozart um, and lure his uh, by by luring his well not blackmail Mozart he tries to he, in exchange for helping Mozart he tries to seduce his wife played Constance. by uh, Elizabeth Berridge uh, and um, in that scene he feeds her the so-called nipples of Venus you know these these decadent white chocolates with the little um, raisins on them or whatever and um, apparently the you know they used real candy and and um, Elizabeth Burridge forgot that rule that you're not supposed to actually eat the food in the scene yeah. because you do multiple takes. So apparently at the end of filming, she just like vomited up all this like white, oh, God. white, white chocolate. Um, so I always think about that, but it's a, um, it's another, it's a, a, a great scene in a film that is jam packed with great scenes. And that's the, the other thing about Amadeus. It is a biopic, but it's just as much about Salieri as it is about um, Mozart and, it doesn't suffer for that and um it actually takes some of the pressure off and and makes it a more interesting film um mm. and um and that even though it's like you know there's no way that Salieri was like that in real life that has that, that bears any relation to anything that happened with Salieri and Mozart the fact that we have Salieri as a character is just really important to the to the whole development of the story mm. anyway we could talk about this for days and we have to probably conclude but um yeah it, you was, take um, us it was it was produced by Sal uh, Saul Zent, who also produced uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. So he won Best Picture three times. He won it for One One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, Amadeus, English Patient. Okay, great. Um, I'm sure that was really important for you to slip in. Now, can you take us through the list so that we can go, please? Just you know, a little bit of trivia for for the for the people. For the people, the people like trivia. That's fair. So. Rounding off the list. Number 10, All That Heaven Allows. Number 9, Almost Famous. Number 8, The American Friend. Number 7, Army of Darkness. Number 6, 
An American Werewolf in London. Number five, Amoris Paros. Number four, Alien. Number three, Latalant. Did I say it right? Yeah. It's like that scene in Trading Places. Level N. It's an opera. <laughs> I mean, if, if you if you pronounce the French wrong, one of Dougie or Alexi will get in touch um, and, okay. uh, you know, kick your ass. Um, it's an opera. Uh, number two, All About Eve. Number one, Amadeus. Brilliant. Um, great. Well, um, uh, that was really fun. Um, I look forward to talking next time about other things. Um, Shower scenes. <laughs> not chat not that uh, not that but yeah write in with your favorite a movies so that we can read them out on the next episode you idiots and um uh and we'll uh, we'll f- try and come up with uh, what we're going to talk about in the interim and then we'll post about it on social media now how do they find us yes you can uh, follow us at homes movies pod oh we should have done this in the middle instead of doing it oh up. fuck it let's do it now <laughs> jesus christ come on Okay, uh, at Homes Movies Pod. You can also send us an email, homesmoviespodcast at gmail.com. You check the email. I do, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, just, just checking because it would be terrible to open that and have like thousands of submissions. <laughs> that yeah, I mean, sometimes I go on there and it's like for other like ads for like WordPress and things like that because of the blog. But um, anyway, yeah, that's that's a. That oh, yeah, no, great, great. Yeah, tell, tell them all about the spam we get, doofus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just WordPress and dick pills and I'll fucking email them. <laughs> So you can follow. Well, you can someone send us an email. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so email. Yeah, I've done that. You can also uh, check out the blog. I recently posted something about Jurassic World Dominion, the uh, hopefully the final Jurassic Park movie. You haven't seen it, have you? No, I don't want to watch that. Yeah, it's good fun for what it is. I'll probably. You know what I'll do? I'll watch it on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Probably will. Um, but you should watch Fallen Kingdom because then you'll be confused. I won't be confused, Anders. It's a film about dinosaurs. Okay, I won't. I, I'll, I'm sure I can catch up. Fair enough. Anyway. Like, what are the dinosaurs doing running around? I know. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's not like <sighs> it's going to get explained in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah, you can also follow me on Twitter at Fabricius91. You can follow Adam Northampton Dane. We're both on Instagram, Anders F Holmes, Adam.h.f.homes. Um, yep. you can also check out and subscribe the podcast we are on Acast we're on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify TuneIn Stitcher so do check us out um, yeah click the Linktree link and you'll take you to all the places that the podcast is available and um, yeah look forward to uh, our next episode whether it be top 10 or not yeah you, it feels like we could uh, you know do some other things you you feel like you want to go in a in another direction i'm picking up that vibe from you you've had enough of lists what me <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like lists i like lists anyway. too i've been i've been enjoying do- doing the top tens yeah i just i think you just want to talk about everyone kenobi don't you well we could do that in like another time <laughs> yeah. all right um, i'm just curious to see what like with you know th- talking about the episodes and seeing how it fits into like the Star Wars canon but that's for another time are you really interested in that are people actually interested because I might (laughs) is it really (laughs) is that really what we're going to spend our time talking about no or we could just you know yeah we can talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi but I just want to talk about Ewan McGregor's I want to talk about how good Ewan McGregor's Alec Guinness impression is Um, one thing I think I would like to talk about with you and I've seen the trailer two times every time when I've been to the IMAX cinema and every time I watch it just makes me want to watch the movie even more is Jordan Peele's Nope 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't wait for that to come out. Yeah, just every time when they show the trailer, I'm just like, oh, I just want to watch that movie. It looks amazing. It's great to have a filmmaker in our midst where you know almost for sure that when the film comes out, it's going to be great. Yeah, definitely. Jordan Peele is one of those filmmakers. All right. He's a fantastic um, filmmaker. Anyway. Off we go. Off we go. I might go watch Amadeus or one of the films that we've just talked about. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. I will uh, go and do whatever it is I do. Um, and a hot plate. Okay. Hi, Dougie. <laughs> Bye. Bye.